Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. You are on the boiling point, my friend, with my co-host, Wayne Jago. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Wayne. Nice to meet you. you. Uh, Pleased to meet you. How are you doing? I am doing great, thanks. Beautiful and sunny here, so can't complain. It's nice and foggy here in St. John today. Bruce is um, is coming into from Central Canada, and uh, and we're live right now, Bruce. Just so you know, sure, um, okay. No no sense in messing around. We'll just get rolling. Um, <laughs> I'm welcoming uh, back my guest host Wayne Jago. He interviewed we uh, last week. We had a great interview, and uh, he's come back in. Uh, not really because we do all the interviews back to back, and people know that. So there's no. No, uh, no secrets there. But we've got um, someone you're excited to talk to, Wayne. One hundred percent. I was, uh, I was saying to, <laughs> to Dave, and he's being a jerk, obviously, because um, I, 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 I can't believe you'd actually uh, come on this because he coaches. So of course, I'm, I'm doing some prep and reading about you and all these great things. So and I say, Dave, you know, you know. Tell me a little bit about Bruce. Because oh, you got it covered. Well, yeah, but how do you guys know each other? Oh, don't worry about that. You'll figure it out. Well, what about Rhodes and all this? And he's like, "This is the best part of you being a guest host because I get to throw you under the bus." <laughs> and Greg, see, and we're just trying to, and because we have to have a little shout out to Greg. He would typically uh, be uh, be giving me uh, the the bird right now if it was the other way around. Wayne's being nice right now, but but we got Bruce McLeod. Bruce is a. a, a a good, good friend uh, and colleague of mine, and uh, and you handled that very gracefully, Wayne. Just Thank that you. you know, just me trying to throw you under the bus <laughs> there. Um, and Bruce um, is all, is known to me. And one of the things we we kind of I reference him uh, is he's he's actually got this uh, this most interesting man ever um, kind of personality. Uh, persona, going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's and so we we can get into that in a bit. Um, but he's just, you know, really we could hit any topic with Bruce. Um, so among other things he does, he works as the uh, general manager of coaching services for Vision Coaching. Um, and he is an amazing coach and he um, teaches at Rural Roads. And Bruce, um, tell us a little, tell, tell people what it takes to be the most interesting man alive or ever <laughs> or both. Well, you know, the reason Dave's given me that moniker is it seems uh, that every time we talk about somebody or talk about somebody that Dave has run run across or come across, uh, I know them or have had some connection to them. And uh, the reason for that, as my wife would tell you, is that uh, I haven't been able to hold a job my whole career. So (laughs) I've worked in provinces and many different industries and a lot of different jobs. And so just by the nature of that, I've come across it. And met a good number of people. So while Dave thinks that's a real, uh, a real attribute and uh, makes me the most interesting man, my my wife would say that she wishes I could have held a job and stayed in one place. So it's all about her perspective. So Bruce, ta- here's here's where I'd like to start if I, we could. Is um like 
you know, like a lot of people that listen to this podcast or running businesses or involved in organizations and, and, um, you know, or part of communities. And there's this wonderful thing about, you know, culture at the heart of everything. And I know you teach a course on culture, um, yep. as it relates to organizations. Um, what, what's all the interest in culture? And it's kind of, it seems like it's kind of relatively new, like in the last decade, there's been a little more focus on culture, but but um, tell tell me, you know, and, and you know, what what is it that makes you know uh, organizational culture so interesting right now? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really great question, David. You know, I'm I'm a firm believer that, you know, I've been I've been around. I'm not uh, not as young as I used to be, and so I've been around and been through the the cycle, sort of coming full circle a number of times over my career. And I think that in the past, uh, particularly the past ten or 15, ten or fifteen years. You know, we we launched into the whole uh, the whole aspect of bringing in th- things like lean and all about efficiencies, and through the downturn in 2008, really got into to looking at the expense side of the uh, of the PNL, and really trying to look where we could get efficiencies, and brought in a mentality that was all about uh, cost cutting and saving and reducing expenses, and the the the. The unintended consequence of that was that we, I think, as a, a, particularly in North America, lost sight of the investment that we needed needed to continue to make in human capital, um, which was really, which really has become the competitive advantage. Because in today's day and, and age, particularly in a global marketplace, there's not much room to have a competitive advantage on the product or service side. I mean, if you look at the banks, for example, of a if the CIBC comes out with a new type of savings account tomorrow, uh, later that day or the next day, the Royal Bank will have something very similar matching out on the street. And so any competitive advantage you can get around the differentiation of product or services gets gets uh, chewed up or, d- or diminished pretty quickly. But what you can't what you can't create is culture. And so in the last 10 or 15 years, this swing from Really looking at being cost effective in the lean lean methodology um, has created a void which organizations that are really leading the pack right now are realizing that culture is where the investment needs to be. Culture, you know, culture in terms of just simply the way we do things around here is the way I like to define culture. And if you're going to bring about a cultural change, it's a long-term investment. It takes time to build that, and once you've built it, you do truly have a competitive advantage. Because the competition can't all of a sudden, well, they've got a culture we want, and we're just going to create that and have it tomorrow. They have to embark on the same long-term journey you did. And so it's, it gives you a sustainable and, and uh, timelined competitive advantage in the marketplace. And so that's why I think uh, you know, the organizations I work with are really looking at it both in terms of uh, the competitive advantage it can bring to their, to their uh, uh, businesses, as well as you know, the whole side of employee engagement, right? So in the war for talent with what we know about demographics and people leaving the market, you know, leaving the uh, the employment world uh, due to the, you know, demographics and retirement, et cetera, it's become really, really important to retain the talent that you have. And a part, uh, you know, a big part of the way you retain the, the talent you have is by having a culture that people want to work in. Because we know, again, from all the engagement surveys that are done, the number one people, the number one reason that people leave organizations is they don't quit the company, they quit their boss. And the boss is the representation of, of the culture to the employee. And so if you can build a, a, a culture that really engages employees and, uh, and, and gets them aligned uh, with the values that the organization espouses, 
um, then you're going to have uh, a, a greater retention rate and thus, again, be able to sustain your competitive advantage. There's a real mouthful, but I'm really passionate about it. So when we, we couldn't tell Bruce at all. You know, <laughs> uh, w- one of the things that, that sh- struck me as you were talking was um, a lot of companies, when they think about changing their their company, the you know the culture, and then of course they they think of brand and marketing. So they get a new logo, they uh, you know different color schemes, this that new products, or tweak what they have, et cetera, whatever. But that's very short term. It always yeah. seems to be short term. It, it it'll bite them in the behind. Now you talk about change and and um, it's it's a long term. It's an investment. What is yeah. the what, what do you find is the biggest resistance to that change? Because you you literally, from a culture perspective, you, you literally have to turn that on its head. Yeah. So wow. What what are the biggest uh, resistance points? Well, the thing that comes to my head right away is just um, it, the other thing that's that's uh, indicative of today's work environment is not just the speed but the volume of change that we're going through just in the just to maintain the status quo so to speak. And to bring about cultural change is, is a, a, a big change initiative. It involves, uh, you know, not just changing, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the things that are uh, hanging on the wall around what our values are, and as you say, what our colors are, and brochures and logos, etc. It involves making changes to the entire system, because if you're going to change a culture, it's like if you change one piece of the culture, you have to change everything that is attached to it within the system. And so the biggest piece of resistance is really around how do we introduce more change into the organization? And the reality is that many organizations that are going to embark on that cultural change piece will tell you when they come out the other end that it got worse before it got better. Because they had to they had to take the step and have the courage to be able to step into an increased level of change in order to, on the other side, be able to uh, have a way to more effectively manage the change that goes on on a day-to-day basis. But initially, it's adding more change into an already change-rich environment. So I'd say that's probably the biggest resistance point. When you, <clears throat> when you um, I guess, you know, how do you find you're working with organizations that want to focus on culture? You know, um, I know you, well, actually, first, there's a course that people can take at Royal Roads University um, yep. where you speak to culture. So maybe hear a little bit about that. And then I'm kind of, sure. you know, I'd love to hear more about, you know, how, yep. when organizations come to you, what are they, what are they coming to you to, to help them with? Sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, the Royal Roads uh, program first. Uh, I, you know, I, I will admit a bias. Uh, I'm on the faculty <laughs> of Royal Roads in a couple of their programs, and a graduate of uh, the Royal Roads coaching program initially myself. And I did a lot of research before I went off to Royal Roads as to where I wanted to do my coach training. And uh, it was clear to me that Royal Roads had what I thought and continue to think is is the best program out there. Uh, so I, I'll declare my bias. But uh, a, a good colleague of mine and, and coincidentally another coach on the Vision coaching roster, Carol Gabbana, her and I uh, co-wrote the curriculum for the creating a coaching culture program in their advanced uh, graduate coaching program and, and deliver it. And the reason Royal Roads introduced that program is because they, like those of us that are out there in the out there uh, as entrepreneurs in the business world, uh, we're getting more and more requests from graduates from the coaching program to help them be equipped uh, to handle the the ever increasing volume of clients that were coming and saying, we just don't want culture. We just don't want coaching 
as another uh, tool in the toolkit, we want to create a we want to create a culture that is based on a coach approach to management and a coach approach to leadership. And so there's a there's a ever increase. I think it's indicative of the ever increasing desire and need for that uh, out there in the in the business community for the very reasons I talked about around the war for talent and being able to retain people as well as to have that maintain that competitive advantage. So when clients come to me initially and, and want to have a conversation about culture, the first thing that I, I'm really curious about is first, how do they define culture? What do they mean by culture? Because, uh, you know, a lot of uh, organizations uh, will will define culture differently. And sometimes it's talking about the things they do which is certainly part of it. But if you really want to build a sustainable culture, you have to also think about who it is we are being. So a culture is a combination of who we are being while we are doing what we do. And when a lot of organizations come and want to have that initial conversation about culture, they're looking at it from a more pragmatic, if we want to create a coaching culture, we want to introduce coaching programs into the organization and there's a belief that if we get enough coaching going on in the organization, if we provide we provide coaches for our executives, that we build coach training and put all of our managers through some level of uh, coach training and how to coach, that we will create a coaching culture. And that that's just not true. You know, more uh, there's no correlation, uh, direct correlation between the amount of coaching activity that goes on in an organization and its ability to actually create a coaching culture. Um, so it's really looking deeper and having really beginning to take a look at what are the systemic things you're trying to change in order to bring about the culture you want to create. And so we often start with how are you defining culture and what is the culture you're trying to create? Let's talk about what that looks like. And then let's step back and look at the system in which you're operating and consider all the aspects of the system that need to be addressed in order to um, to bring about the culture that you're trying to create. I'm thinking actually something that's relevant to this conversation is your background as an HR executive and practitioner, meaning human resources, um, has been, I'm guessing, very beneficial in this for you as in terms of, of supporting like the systemic side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would I would say so. And again, again, it's probably my own bias, but I think, you know, so let me just share with you what I see often is one of the biggest systemic uh, challenges that organizations come to me with, and sometimes they've come. They come to me because they've been trying. They've already tried. They're already on the road to trying to create a cultural shift, and they're not getting the traction they want to get. So they already have already gone through the exercise of determining where they want to go, and they're trying to get there, but they can't figure out why they're not making any progress. Well, let me give you a. a you know, this is a bit of a, a stark example, but a lot more common than you may than you may think is actually uh, the case. But time, there have been a number of times where I've had organizations come to me uh, in that place that really want to create a coaching culture because they've heard that it can really, you know, increase ROI and increase retention and all those types of things we've talked about. And what they, the culture they currently have is a real command and control culture. So it's very much a top-down, uh, authority, hierarchical-driven uh, culture that they have in the organization. So they, they have good intentions. They start to bring in some coaching. They provide some coaching for their executives. They start to bring in some coach training and support for their uh, senior managers and, and work and filter that down through the organization. But what, they're, what they often don't look at are the systems that, quite frankly, are very often housed in HR, like performance management. So if, my perform if a company's performance management system 
has been uh, built around a command and control culture, then all of the things that are being evaluated, all the markers that are part of the performance management system are rewarding behaviors around command and control type behaviors. And so when they introduce culture, when they introduce coaching into the organization, they're surprised that people uh, aren't, aren't uh, living it. And that's because people at the end of the day say, you know, I like this coaching. It's great. It really works. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm being evaluated on the behaviors, the markers that are in this performance management system, which are command and control. And if my performance management is going to drive my pay increases, then I better pay attention to what the performance management system says. Even though I think there's real value in coaching, there's going to be a cost to me to live a coach, live in a way that's coaching because the organization hasn't considered the system's implications of aligning the, the performance management system and changing it to reward coaching behaviors and, and get away from the rewarding of the command and control behaviors. So that's just one example where I think HR that HR expertise and background can really support uh, organizations in uh, in bringing about that change. We're looking at each other, Wayne and I, about who's going to follow up. You, well, you got- I'll jump in on, on one thing. Um, uh, most of the the business businesses that I know, the owners and, and entrepreneurial individuals, um, they're the ones that start companies. A startup will have a, a culture mm-hmm. or a, a viewpoint. And then... Um, as they grow and, and things really start to speed up and escalate and, you know, they, they bring in a coach and, and say, look, you know, there's, there's something misaligned here. Have you ever been in a situation, and I'm sure it must be difficult to actually say, you know what, uh, to your point, I'm just kind of going back to one other point was, uh, you know, you say employees quit their bosses. So you have an entity that wants you to come in, but then on, then ultimately you determine, you know, the top guy has got to go or girl or, or there's something there that's really got to occur. Uh, have you had to uh, deal with that, come across that? That's a great point, Wayne, because, you know, the other thing that I, I can say in my experience with absolute certainty is that unless you have the very top person in the organization sponsoring the cultural change, uh, it's going to be very difficult to make make something happen. Mm. Because the person, particularly in small organizations where the CEO or the owner, um, you know, is the one that controls all the levers that need to be pulled in order to bring it to, in order to execute a cultural change. Um, so absolutely, there are there are times when you have to have a, a very uh, Difficult, difficult conversation with the owner about the way they're getting in the way of their own success, uh, and sometimes you know, and, and that's often the case with with uh, owners that have started. You know, they 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 grew the company; it's their baby, and they have grown it to a place now where you know they were really good at what it took to get it to the place it's at now. But if they want to continue to grow it and continue to to expand it, in some cases. Um, it's having a conversation about, uh, you know, what needs, what what changes need to occur either in the structure or in their role in the organization. Sometimes, you know, I've seen that transition to where the owner uh, will set, you know, if they don't have a board, will set up a board and the the, uh, the founder of the company will end up being chair of the board. So they're out of the day-to-day operations and more on the governance side. But yeah, certainly there there is a a, a right place and time to have those conversations. Because the other thing that happens often with, with particularly, well, I was going to say particularly with smaller organizations, but actually no with any organization, is that most 
people don't give any thought to what culture they want to develop. You end up with organizations end up with a culture by default. So the way people behave, what's tolerated in the organization, what is an expectation, you know, what those types of things become the expectation and they formulate the culture. So you've got a culture by design, a culture by default versus being very deliberate and building what I call a culture by design and culture by design really you know, it calls on the organization to be very deliberate and very systemic about what it is they're trying to create and working towards it. So let me give you a really simple example. Please. You know, you go into organizations that, you know, when they say the meeting starts at nine o'clock, you know, so I got, I see, I got a scheduled meeting at nine o'clock and I, I go in and I'm waiting there and it's 10 after nine and no one's called me in yet to the meeting. And they call me into 10 at 10 after nine and we have the meeting and I start to notice this every time I meet with them, that they're 5, 10, 15 minutes late. Um, really, in fact, what that is now is part of their culture. Their culture is that we start meetings 10 minutes after we say we're going to start them. Nobody sat down and by design said, you know what, we're always going to start 10 minutes after we say we're going to start. But because it's a culture by default, it started to happen. Perhaps it was a leader that was always 10 minutes late. And so now that starting meetings 10 minutes late is now the culture that has happened by default. And an organization says, okay, well, we're going to create a culture by design. You know what? When we say we're starting at nine, we're starting at nine and being very deliberate about sticking to that in order to create a new norm, a new culture. So that's a really simple example. But for me, it really highlights the difference between a culture by default and a culture by design, which is often what, you know, often the transition organizations are faced with. So, um, so now I'm feeling like the interviews shifted and turned, right? I was trying to throw you under the bus at the beginning, Wayne. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, Bruce starts talking about founder, founders of companies who get in the way, or you guys are having some dialogue around that. I'm kind of thinking of myself as a founder of Vision Coaching and, you know, being late for meetings, Bruce, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just <laughs> kind of, this has got a feeling about it, uh, you know, like uh, you guys, you guys, you guys are getting me back here, but but that that's me being that's me being paranoid. Of course, uh, I would be paranoid with that. Um, we're at the very end, Bruce. Um, uh, you know, and I always love you know. It's funny you know, when you when you work with someone, you're listening, but in a different way, you know. Mm. And then when in this kind of format, I'm just listening in a in a in a fresh way, and it's really. Um, you must work with good people, Bruce. I mean, my God. <laughs> you know what I do? I'm very fortunate. <laughs> I work with I work with a great team at Vision. I work with a great team at Royal Roads. Uh, I work with a great team in a, a whole variety of uh, arenas, and that's uh, that's why I love the work I do. It's as much about what I do as who I get to do it with. Well, and you and you and I can say this: I know you've designed how you're living right now because you got out of a corporate role and you took a, a leap. And this is important for people um, listening to hear. Um, took a leap into the marketplace, um, you know, as, as a, I would say, you know, a number of years ago, probably what, five, six years ago, Bruce, uh, yep. as a, yep. as a, a, it would be fair to say as a first time entrepreneur. Yep. And, absolutely. and at the young tender age of <laughs> 54, I think when I made the jump. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty cool part of this story. That's right? a great part of the story. Right? Bruce. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't like this, uh, I'm independently wealthy kind of thing. It was, <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this, right? And I, I'm I, I'm saying that because I don't think you would, Bruce. But it's really, I mean, that's a, I mean, for for anyone that, and and this is what people really, this is why I so enjoy collaborating because, um, you know, clients appreciate the the fact that um, you know, he's a risk taker, he tries all these different things, he's out there, 
Um, very passionate, as you can tell. And uh, buddy, I really appreciate you sharing your story, your wisdom. Um, I was going to break it down where I was going to get you coaching Wayne at one point during the call, but we don't <laughs> have time for that. Um, Another but, one. Yeah. But any, any um, how do people reach you, uh, learn about you, know about you, Bruce? We always want to know that. And we're going to, and after you tell, share it, we're going to say thank you and goodbye. And then we're going to have a couple of takeaways that, um, that people usually hang up the phone for, but some people listen. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dave. For, yeah. Thanks, Dave Wayne, for, for the opportunity to be with you today. Really, really, but it's hard to believe the time's gone so quickly. Uh, people can reach me. You can find my, uh, my profile on LinkedIn or you can reach me at bruce at visioncoachinginc.com um, uh, or just go to the Vision Coaching website and you'll, you'll find a link to me on there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love, to, uh, love to carry on the conversation with anybody that's uh, got the, shares the passion around culture that I do. I really think it, uh, I think that, I, I truly believe that one of the things that coaching is doing in these past 10 to 15 years, bringing humanity back into the workplace. The pendulum is swinging now from the lean type of mentality. Not that the lean methodology isn't sound. It's good. It makes a difference, but it's got to be balanced with uh, with the human side. I think coaching is bringing humanity back into the workplace and always open to have a conversation, grab a coffee with anybody who wants to chat further about it. The most interesting man in the world, whoever lived. <laughs> whoever or, lived. Or something like cl- that. close to that. <laughs> You're the best, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. All right, take care, Thanks, guys. Bruce. Talk soon. Takeaways, Wayne. Well, there's a guy who uh, backs up what he believes at, a, at, an, at an age when most people are saying this is it. You know, at, at surprised that 50-some years old to, to flip the funnel, so to speak, on his own career. But yet, here he is, um, you know, the whole culture aspect, and it's so important. And the, the big takeaway for me is that, yeah, you, you get the right people in, you, you get— people championing and rallying and whatever. But he did say something that jumped out at me is that it will get worse before it gets better. And I think that for me, uh, listeners out there, you know, as they're going through this or uh, utilizing coaching and different things that, um, you know, there are going to be some, some serious downs, but on the other side of that is the win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and to expect that, right. It's so important. Nope. Um, that the things are going to get worse before they get better, uh, pot- potentially, right? Yes. So, um, yeah, so I, we're, we're out of time. I'm going to, but my quick takeaway would be, um, I just, you know, I always love the passion Bruce brings to a conversation mm. and, uh, and, and he's very, and also very a practical way of describing things like, you know, a culture by default, 10 minutes late, like it, it's really helps. Like you can, you can imagine it helps make sense of it. So he's, he can bring a concept into, into a very practical and tangible. So. Um, well, listen, thanks again. Second time. Will you come back next week? I'd love to come back next week. Let's do it. It's great. All right, buddy. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, Visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. 
Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.